Alright, welcome to our latest episode of The Heat Locker. Uh, my name is Luke and for those that have been listening to us, The Heat Locker is a podcast we run here at Sydney West Martial Arts and um, the idea is that we're actually in the sauna, we're currently here, I've got a fantastic guest that I'll introduce in a second. Uh, real quick what, before we get going, we are sponsored now which is pretty cool, we've got Endless Combat have come on board and they're sponsoring us um, on the podcast. They're, they're a cool Australian brand that's just kicking off. They cover all your training needs like rash guards, shorts, and apparel. Jump on their website, endlesscombat.com.au. And if you happen to buy anything, if you use the, uh, the promo code HEATLOCKER10, you also get a 10% discount as well. Uh, last week we did a... Um, a giveaway of a rash guard, and we'll be drawing that and putting it out on our Facebook page and Instagram, hopefully later on today, so hold tight for those that did that. Um, I want to introduce Ben Powell today, welcome Benny. Pleasure mate, thank you for having me here. You're welcome. Um, so for those that don't know Ben, um, Ben is uh, Ben's a guy I've looked up to since I started training. Uh, Ben's the head coach and owner of, head instructor, head coach, what do you guys use? Head coach. Head coach, head coach of SBG Australia. Um, they're they're uh, you know killer up and coming gym based uh, based in the inner city there. Um, Ben's also a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, but not just a black belt. He's a he's a currently second dan black belt, right? Or the second third degree. second degree black belt, yeah. and um, also super physio. He knows everything about everything, and just uh, just an awesome guy. Um, I remember coming through, and when I so I started Jiu Jitsu in two thousand and five, two thousand six, two thousand five, and I feel like. I feel like, like you've been a black belt ever since I've been there. I think you might have been a brown belt when I first started. Still a maybe. Brown belt. Yeah, maybe just a brown. And I just remember this dude that was just a fucking nightmare for everybody. Didn't look all that imposing. Ben's like 6'1", but just like your normal frame guy. He's not this big muscle man. And would just destroy me and destroy anyone else that went near him. And, uh, you know, it's still the case today. Uh, and it's pretty awesome that all these years later, Ben's still, still kicking, uh, you know, at a really high level. And... Um, so I had to have him in, like I had to have him in, it was, it was a no-brainer. Every time someone he gets hurt and they say, do you know a physio? I say, I know the best guy, but he's in the city, you've got to go to him. So the other thing is Ben's also got his own physio practice as well, so he's a man of, um, man of many talents. I'll let, I'll let Ben do a quick intro and then we'll, then we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, man. It was, it's, as Luke said, I've known him for a long, long time. I remember when uh, he first came and started training with us at, uh, in Concord and... Um, Always super keen student of the game, and uh, it was always awesome to, to see him develop so quickly. Um, always from the from the outset, um, a massive fan of leg locks. So he's really been leg lock loop, you know, for as long as I can remember as well. Even going back to being a blue belt and, and uh, coming through the ranks, and it's fantastic. This I've been meaning to come out here for a long time. Sorry about my voice; I'm a bit sick uh, today, but uh, apologise if I cough in advance. But yeah, look, it's um, I've been. Wanted to come out and check out his new gym for, for a long time and to see him set up with such a fantastic fantastic setup out here and also to see him so active on the competition circuit and you know, turning into a, a real wrecking ball with his with his uh, with his game. It's it's a, it's a pleasure for a, for the guys that have trained there for a long time to see. Thank you, sir. I appreciate yeah, that. That means cool. a lot because, like I said, you were you were just this this unicorn, this mythical beast in the corner <laughs> that that it, it sort of made me realise it's not about strength. Like you were a strong guy, but it wasn't. It sort of put it to me that maybe maybe if I can learn enough technique, I could get there. It wasn't just, you know, there's always that strong guy, and you're sort of like, oh, yeah, but it's because he's really strong. It was never like that. 
It was never like that. I just remember you doing things that I, no matter what I did, I couldn't stop. It was yeah, just... it's interesting. I think it's the same thing with light guys. You know, you, you, you're somewhat forced, forced into being really technical. Mm. Um, and I think I, I, I use that a lot coming up, but I also probably use as a bit of a crutch as well, uh, competitively. That I, if I lost a match, I'd be like, oh well, that guy was bigger and stronger mm. than me, and yeah. end up being a little bit of a of a mental sort of downfall for me, I think, for my own competitive game. Mm. But in terms of your technical development, you know, really that idea of leaving aside your attributes, focusing on the leverage. I mean, people all talk about leverage, but a lot of people, I don't think, understand it. And, you know, I think uh, the sooner you get your head around that, uh, the, the physics of fighting, I think I like to always talk about, and, and that idea of leverage and really having an understanding of it and applying it um, to your game and leaving aside your physicality until you can bring it back into your competitive mode or against somebody who is bigger yeah. is just essential for your development. You know, guys get better so much faster. I mean, I say to the guys in the gym now, you know, if, if you can't do it light, you're not doing it right. Nothing aggravates me more as a coach than going over and you're showing, showing somebody a technique and they're grunting the first mm-hmm. time they're doing it. It's yep. like you're yep. missing the point. <clears throat> um, you should be really pulling everything back, um, really developing that technical side of things, and then once you play it in, to your rolling, to your training, to your competition with uh, obviously developing your timing and all the other sorts of things that you need to get with is, is super important. Yeah, I mean, it's funny It's funny you say that because we all have to go through that learning process, right? Like everybody comes in here and they they just, they need to win. It's like we're wrestling with each other. It's like I've got to, I've got to try and win. And no one wants to go in trying to lose. No. But they end up standing in their own way. Absolutely. And it's, I, I always find as a general rule, what you're saying is true. It's the stronger, more athletic guys that can get away with it or the bigger guys and they end up nearly just forcing themselves down this funnel where they all end up the same way where yeah. they've got a similar game to certain things they'll make work if you're not careful but they, they nearly stand in their own road of really opening up to the maybe all the avenues they could go down. That's it. And it's, it's that thing of getting away with stuff against somebody that because you're either physically more dominant than, or even the same thing as well. Skills matter as well. I say to the guys, whether it's kickboxing or whether it's um, you know, MMA, whether it's jiu-jitsu, the same thing applies. I think the, the principles apply across the board, you know. Size matters, strength matters, skills matter, mm-hmm. you know. And if, if, if you're not, um, you know, taking the opportunity to hone a particular technique or a particular skill set against somebody that you're better than, then you're really missing the point. If you're just monstering somebody, you're, you're, you're missing out on a really valuable learning experience. Mm-hmm. And I know, guys guy said to me in the, in the class, because we've only been, you know, we've been open for 18 months, we've got some, you know, I'm very lucky to have had a couple of old friends, brown belts, who've come back yeah. to training, purple belts, we've had some guys come from overseas, high level, we've promoted a bunch of blue belts now as well, which is good, but the majority of the time you're still training with lower level belts and white belts, and they'll often say, you know, how do you, you know, how do you try and keep yourself sharp? And it's that, that same old thing, I remember hearing the guys just talking about with the Machados, I remember John Will talking about it, you know, and, and hearing one of the Machado brothers back in the day essentially saying, you know, I'm going to get you with uh, a right armbar, you know, and then doing it ten times in a row. Mm. You know, you get somebody the first time, fair enough, they didn't see it coming. The second time, and you know, not quite sure what's coming, but by the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time, they figure out there's only one thing you're going for. So at that point, you're developing all of the intricacies of finishing that technique and like we were talking about before in terms of those sort of subsystem way of looking at things, if you're, you can basically turn a white belt into a high-level sort of purple belt in one position very, very quickly, yep. if yep. you keep continuously attack that one position because you're letting them know what you're going for 
and you're giving them an opportunity to develop the defence before you even get there. Mm -hmm. So that then hones your skills because you're then having to overcome all the all the counters and, and counters to counters that they present. So mm. um, it's a tricky predicament because I I experienced the same thing. Obviously, here at Sydney West, where we're four years open in, in another month or so. So I'm at the point now where I'm Congratulations. Really, yeah, thank you. I'm, I can't believe we've lasted this long. Not not because I didn't have faith, but it's it, as you know, it's a tough it's, it's a, a tough, tough game, grind, yeah. man. Like it's it's uh, people look and go, Oh, you're living the best life ever, you're just teaching jiu jitsu and it's like I am, but there's a lot there's a, a lot, lot of a lot to things. get behind there, yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot to get it to that point. It doesn't just happen overnight. No. And um I'm at a really lucky point now where I've got I've got a room of my higher belts now that I've promoted through to about purple belt. We've got no brown belts yet. These purple belts push me like, like uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a black belt at another school. It's just they. Um, we've got a really good mat culture going on where now I'm I'm fighting hard. Like there's positions where I can um, give them stuff to sort of make myself have to work harder. But generally, I could have a, a back and forth match with these guys. And I found when I first started, it was hard because we've got. White belts, you know, you've got the same thing. You have a couple of colour belts maybe come over that are friends or something. But if you, if I just went balls to the wall and tried to submit them every time with everything I got, uh, I would get lots of submissions. But my game would have stalled yeah. horrendously. And and that's hard. That's, I mean, you and I are both black belts now, so we can say this sitting back in our rocking chair going, that, why can't you see it, guys? But, you know, the white belt listening on the other end of this, <coughs> how do you get them to finally just get that where you have to go, your ego, just let that ego go. Someone might pass your guard because your guard sucks, but eventually it won't suck. I think, and this is interesting, I think this is one of those things where as you get older and everybody, as you get older, you develop the wisdom looking mm. at younger people and looking at their, the folly of youth, if you like. And I actually heard him on a podcast, I think it was the Sam Harris podcast, he had a gentleman on there the other day, and he essentially said, you know, because you always hear people talking about, you know, what would you say if you wrote a letter to your 15-year-old self or whatever, you know, what would you say you should change and what you should do differently? And that's a nice sort of way of thinking about how would you, how can you tell this young person that you see in your gym what they should do? And the guy's response was, the reality is, he knows that his 15-year-old self wouldn't even like his 40-year-old self. Yeah. And his 40-year-old self would think his 15-year-old self was a little shit. Sure. And there's no chance that they're going to listen. So I think, unfortunately, as much as we try our best, the reality is is that you are just going to hit your head up against a brick wall with young people because they're young. Mm. They, just, they, they, they haven't had enough life experience. They don't have enough um, awareness and understanding of themselves even to be able to appreciate the knowledge that you're giving them. And that's really frustrating. Mm. But I, I've gotten past that in the last 18 months as well of thinking, you know, giving all this great information to this young person and they, you know, if someone comes for a while and they, they leave and do something else, whatever, and you think, oh, you've given them all this great stuff and they've sort of thrown it back in your face, if you like. Mm -hmm. But it's not that. It's just they're, they're not wise enough to be able to appreciate yep. what you're giving them. Yep. And so I really think that <coughs> you'll, you'll do your best with people, but it'll be that special. It's a certain... Just like it's a certain type of attribute physically that's going to allow people to do certain things in the gym, it's a certain mental attribute that's going to allow somebody to click mm. and understand what you're telling them and appreciate what you're telling them at a young age, which will help them be that person that develops really well, the way you know everybody could if they yeah, took it on yeah. board. So it's, it's, it's that old head, young shoulders. It is, yeah, you can't... Uh, you, you can sit there and be frustrated. You see different memes on, you know, this is what they should teach yeah. in school, you know, from these 40 and 15-year-olds. 
It's like, no, that, you're missing the point. You wouldn't have listened to that when you were in school. Yeah. You, listen, yeah. you understand it now because yeah. you've lived the life mm-hmm. and you realise the folly of your, yeah. of your yeah. ways, but there's no way. Your 15-year-old self would look at that and go, go away. I know I'm going to go and hang out with my mates and smoke a bit of pot and whatever yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know best, and that's just the reality of it testosterone-fueled teenager. So is it a cultural thing? Do we just have to keep providing that environment in the gym where maybe it just, osmosis, it just it rubs off on them over time? Absolutely. They just, they just don't get a choice. Before they know it, they've done the guard position drill so much that they're like, oh, wait a sec, I've got a, I've got a guard here. I didn't I didn't choose to, but I was sort of forced to eat my veggies and now I'm happy I did. Well, that's absolutely. I, mean, I think that's that idea of the... That's kind of that martial arts... Um, culture if you like that's that strictness and the discipline of not giving somebody an opportunity to think their way through something at some point you just come in and say this is how it's done mm. and i like to hear dan and her talk about it matt matt thorne of spg talks about fundamentals you know fundamentals fundamentals he teaches you know he wants to teach fundamentals to the point that you can't do them wrong and then from there you're free to yep. to express yourself individually any which way you want to go in the jiu-jitsu world or whatever it is that you want to do it's the same thing you, you're sort of a I think Danaher says, you know, you're a dictator. He's a dictator with the fundamentals, mm-hmm. and then he's a you know, liberal. Yes. Do what you like. I love, I love that statement. It's perfect. And, and that's that's yeah. the mentality that you have to have. Yeah. And you have to, as a, as a coach, I think, let go of that ideal in your head that you're going to be able to get through to everybody, because mm. unfortunately, you 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 know, we're not going yeah. to connect with everybody the way we think we we should be able to. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it's, it's tough. It's so valid. It's so valid. But it's tough as a coach. You you go look. I've seen that. I've sort of seen the light. I think that you'll enjoy it if you can just get there. But you're yeah. just not letting yourself uh, do it. And yeah. I well, mean, I don't know. At the gym, like when I opened up, I had this grand vision, but I still do, of teaching jiu-jitsu conceptually. You know, the concepts, the under, underlying concepts. If you understand the concepts, every single technique, basically, you will know. And not only that, if you understand the concepts, you will be able to develop every single technique itself. Versus learning, and that you hear Kit Dale talk about similar sorts of things. You know, if I if I give you bit X, of the sore subject, Kit Dale is big. Well, okay, well that's all right. He's a quality guy. He's, he's probably using those fundamentals that we're talking about. No, no, about. no, no. <laughs> he doesn't drill. No, um, but not here. If you can think of the technique, you teach a technique, you can teach it in sort of th- three aspects, to, to four to five to six to seven different aspects. As you teach them all, um, person that can appreciate it, you can break down all the different intricacies of that, and then if you look at like five or six different techniques from one position and then you've got straight away there's 40 different things for somebody to try and retain or, or to retain their head but then bring back at a certain point in time mm-hmm. and so if you think of that like you know you might learn something and then you know three four months later you might get to that position and that idea of then saying that at that point you're somehow going to be able to retrieve mm-hmm. in your brain the information processing ability to be able to go back and think there's 40 different steps across five different techniques I've got to try and retrieve and, yep. and bring back and make work. Especially under pressure, now, yeah. Under pressure. That by the yep. time you've retrieved that, the moment is gone. Yeah. Versus that idea of when I'm in any position, at any time, there are a certain subset of concepts, rule. concepts that are applied in every single position mm-hmm. that I can then retrieve. I've only got three or four things to think of every single every single moment of the game. It's yep. a constantly changing game. Then you think faster... And it's a problem-solving game, so if you can think faster and come up with a solution quicker, then obviously you're going to be ahead of the game. But as a coach, to try and do that with people coming in, again, it's just the same as with it is with with the young kid. There's only a certain type of people, certain type of person, sorry, who is able to appreciate that from the start. Mm. 
and it's that's a small percentage. And age up levels quicker, obviously, than the guy next to them. Absolutely, yeah. but yeah. very few people mm-hmm. so can the take that on board. And that's a very, I think, in, in the jiu-jitsu world, anyway, it's a very human thing. To people want to have, they want to have a technique. They want to have an X, Y, Z to hold on to. Yeah. And you know, so I've sort of had to really come back, and, yeah. and that's that's again, that's learning, and that's going back and looking at uh, the way I've been coached in the past, and you know. Going back and saying respect, you know, you guys, you guys figured this out before me. I thought I knew better, mm-hmm. but I didn't in this mm-hmm. particular aspect. And then I think back to myself as well. It wasn't until I was like a, a higher level blue or purple belt that it sort of twigged to me the yeah. concept, the different concepts. If somebody showed it to me as a white belt, I might have given up after two weeks because it wouldn't have made sense to me. Okay. So it's a, um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's like you say. I, I'm, I'm so passionate about the concepts idea mm. because once you get it, it's just everything just. Just fires and flows from there, but you have to be at a certain level to be able to understand it. Just uh-huh. like you have to be a certain age to be able to appreciate. It's like it. horse and cart, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, chicken and egg even worse. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, tell us more about SBG because I mean it's pretty. This was a pretty exciting thing when I heard you were doing. It. So like a year and a half ago, you say to me, "I'm opening a gym up," and for those that have been living under a rock, SBG is the affiliation uh, of the same gym Connor's out of in Ireland, right? SPG Ireland. That's correct, yeah. Um, so every, really anyone that watches MMA <coughs> nowadays knows who SPG is, and, and you're the only SPG in Australia from my understanding, That's is that right? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, this is this is pretty awesome. Not only are you teaching, but you're back behind this sort of pretty big, big name. Tell us about how, how all that came about. Like. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, going way, way back when I started, sort of started back in... In 1995, 90, up in Queensland with Vince Perry, who was a fantastic. Oh, so you were with Vince Perry? Yeah, fantastic coach. So Vince is um, Vince. For those that don't know, he's the dude that wears like the little funny hat at all the MMA shows. He and does. Pum at yeah. PUMMA. Uh, yeah, PUMMA. Yeah, yeah. And he's got, has like a bunch of good guys. Great really. guys. Yeah. He's got Reese, who's fought for the One FC yeah. title over, yeah. overseas. Great coach. He, obviously, something he does is good because he yeah, he's a fantastic good guys. coach. Yeah. Yeah, and he, um, he's interesting because he sort of started off as a JKD guy and ended up in the mm. MMA circle. So when, when I first started, I was lucky enough that he was just in my town and when I started working with him, the UFC just sort of started. So, you know, I was doing kickboxing. I had a few kickboxing fights back in the mid-90s and then followed him into jiu-jitsu way back. He was lucky to start training with a guy called John Simon, who was one of John Will's first black belts. This was back when he was still a blue belt and everything. Uh, I trained with him for a while, then moved to Sydney and... Um, through Vince basically hooked up with Anthony Lange for sort of six months and then yep. John Simon what year was that? that was 97 so 97 okay. so how old were you then? you were a kid then you were 20, uh, 25 or 20, 26 25. so you moved from, from moved from the Gold Coast from the Gold Coast yeah, right okay. you just started to do physio yeah. right okay yeah, yeah. is that because they, they don't know how to add up and do sums and they don't yeah, have university in Queensland or? yeah yeah no they got not quite that up there no. okay. so like wrestling crocs or, or, yeah. you know, okay. or digging holes in the ground uh-huh. No, that's not true. <laughs> all our Queensland friends. Uh, so I moved down here and, and again, I trained with Anthony, um, which was great. And that was when I first met Elvis and Anthony. So they were both starting out there as well. So we were all white belts together over there for sort of six months. Uh, just before Anthony moved overseas to start training with Carlos Machado. Um, and before Elvis was, um, you know, obviously starting out before his UFC career. And so I sort of trained there and then with uh, John Simon. Um, opened a school in Epping, was there for a couple of years, and then we all sort of converged on Leichhardt, ironically, yep. which is where I am now, just up the road. Yep. And so we trained there for a while. Um, and was this parish gym in Leichhardt? Was no, no, this, was still, this no. was still this was the church, but this was John Simon before okay. he moved to Melbourne, so right. before Anthony Elvis took it over. Okay. Um, yeah, and that was that was amazing. I mean, that, that was 
that was you know way back and again there was I say to everybody the you know Elvis when he was fighting for when he first fought in the UFC he beat Jeremy Hall and he fought all the other guys he fought he fought Frank Shamrock mm. in front of eight thousand yeah we've had Elvis in his crazy you know, amazing, madness, you know, yeah. had, had, a, had a crazy career and really just an absolute uh, legend, a legend yeah. in terms of just stepping up and and taking on challenges. But there were times where it was just like Saturday morning and I'd rock up and just be me and him, you know, for yeah, and half yeah. in the church, just rolling. And then, you know, next week it's like, I'm off to the say, Okay, yeah. all right, cool. And fun so, against, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So it was, it was, that was, that yeah. was sort of crazy times. Um, and then once I finished my uni degree, I, I decided to go travelling. I think I, I just won the, the pair packs. Um, as a blue belt or whatever, so... So how, obviously, like, if you have a look at the pan packs nowadays and you look yeah. at, like, how much has it grown oh, since then? I mean, amazing. Was, I mean, even that was still, it was still the big competition to yeah. sort of go to, but numbers-wise, it was probably a couple of hundred or a few hundred, you know, and there was mm. only, I remember, remember the, I think the year I won, um, I might mean the year I came back or something, I can't remember, I think it was Anthony and Dan Cherubin and his purple belts was, like, the highlight of the, yeah. of the day, you know? Yeah. And they're, you know, still going, great guys. Yeah. So it's amazing to see how many people have just sort of stuck with it. It's almost like once you get to that purple belt. There's longevity, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. it's great. But I went overseas, in 2001 I went overseas, and that's when I think Elvis and Anthony sort of took over from John and, and started uh, started their gym. Um, and I went over to, to the UK, I just happened to be at a, at a seminar, and um, John, John Kavanagh was there, and... I'm like, hey, you going, mate? Nice to meet you. Met him and his, and his, his buddy Dave. And uh, and I said, I'm going to Ireland next week, you know, because I'd already booked a trip to go over there. I had like a three-week life. I was going to Ireland to travel around for a couple of like, oh, cool, come and see me. And so we went over there and I you know, met, got a taxi into the centre of town and I'm thinking, okay, where's this guy? And then John rocked up and he was a, he was a white belt at the time, just sort of starting off and I was a purple belt. And next thing you know, we're in the back of this car and he's driving out into the... To the to the Badlands, and it was a place called Ballymun, which back then was like the really dodgy part of, of Dublin. You know, it was just these five high-rise buildings, and I remember seeing the back of the car going, "Holy shit, are these yeah, guys going to me? What are they going to do me?" And uh, we we got there, though, and it was the Dave's mum's place. He had that set up, and so we went and we rolled. So this is before the old SBG Island, because they they were in a crappy spot this before. Was, this is this was just when he didn't even have shed. Right, this is gotcha. before SBG. Yeah. Yep. So before he started working with Matt, or he, I don't know if he just started working. Yeah. I don't think he had it. And Matt had SBG up and running. So SBG yeah, started because a lot of people aren't aware. SBG for those that don't know, SBG is not just Connor's gym. People think that. It's, that's just an offshoot of one of them. He, he had many before that on the main, like back in the, in the yeah, UK. Port, is that right? Portland, Oregon, no, so in, uh, in the US. So Matt Portland started SBG, okay. straight blast gym, about 25 years ago. And same thing, similar, I always say similar to, to Vince, my first coach. Matt was the same thing. You know, he, was, he was a JKD guy, and after a certain amount of time, so I said, you know, this is not working for JKD, me. for the young people that don't know, that's your... Um, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee stuff, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and again, same, same thing with that, you know. Great ideas, but then you know, lost in translation sure. to, to reality, I think, mm. with a lot of that stuff. And that's sort of what Matt's vibe was. He went and started his own gym teaching you know, functional, realistic martial arts, essentially before MMA even started. And, uh, yeah, so he was going strong for a number of years. He then met John. Actually, John, again, everyone knows he was a coach, but he was a pioneer fighter in his time as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, met, uh, he met Matt in South Africa, and, and they told a story of... Of, uh, of Matt being impressed because John walked out to this particular fight in South Africa after being flown down there by himself. He walked out there with his own bucket. Nice. He didn't even have a corner, so he was there to corner himself, and Matt sort of went, that's, that's my kind of guy. Yeah. And so they hooked up after that, and they started training together, and I think John was either the first or the second 
um, affiliate uh, open up. Overseas. Okay, so they were relatively early in the piece. Yeah, right? so I first, I think, I, I stayed and did like a five month stint in Northern Ireland at the end of 2003, and I was okay. sort of down every other week with John at that point and met Matt a couple of times, which was which was really good. 2003, Gunny Nelson wasn't around at that stage, it would be too early. No, too yeah. early. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. If he would have still been the hands over the were still in primary school, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, so that's, that's why you I mean, it's. It's ridiculous because it's like it's like picking the lottery numbers. I mean, yeah. for anyone to foresee that that John would end up being in a position, and then also connected, that Connor would be in the position where he's maybe one of the most famous, if not the most famous athlete yeah. in the world, mm. it's pretty crazy that you're like right there connected at the base of that, but you just you know it's just another place, I suppose. Well, that's it. It's just lucky. And again, we we caught up then, you know, two thousand six, two thousand nine, whatever it was, and and so when I turned forty. I'd already had this vision in my head of wanting to open up my own, do my own thing. You know, you get to mm. a certain stage as a black belt, you want to start, I think, doing your own thing. And I, I knew sort of, I guess, behind the scenes, Elvis and Anthony were having their, their issues. I sort of had that that idea that they were probably going to go their separate ways, which, mm-hmm. is, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. And they've both gone their separate ways yeah. and both doing both fantastically yeah, well. So yeah. congratulations yep. to them and respect for everything for they sure. did, did for me over the years. Um, and so I went over there to, to train. I was lucky enough to be there for a couple of weeks before um, Connor's fight with Jose Aldo. So I got to got to uh, sit in all of the, the training sessions and everything there, which was fantastic. And it was quite quite surreal actually, because um, you know John at one point basically stopped the training session and you know said, "Guys, come over here and." Got Gunny and uh, and Connor to come over and said, "Oh, this is Ben. He was my first jiu-jitsu coach." So they basically both sort of come over yeah. rever- reverentially, coming over and and, and shaking my hand. Oh man, so nice to meet you. I'm like, oh, trust me, I'm a big fan." Yeah, yeah. And um, it, was, it was interesting as well because like I, I'm a big Gunny fan, probably more. Yeah, than me too. No, yeah, yeah me so, too. So uh, I don't know how you can't be. Yeah, and it was, was brilliant to be there and watch that. But yeah, long story short, was over there for that, and then. I uh, came back with the idea of doing my own thing. And Without, uh, before we go away from yeah. that too much, I think I asked you at the time, uh, maybe you were hurt or something was going on. You didn't get to roll with the boys, or you did, but no, you didn't I feel didn't. good? What was what was that? Um, oh, just jet lag. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's horrendous. It's, yeah. a, it's a recurring theme. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't know, turning 40 hasn't been good for me, but but uh, the jet lag in particular. Yeah. Because I remember the first week I was there, I felt like terrible, and then the second week I wrestled the same it takes guys. About a, it takes about a week. Yeah, and really, you know, did... Did far better, did yeah. far more reform sort of thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, wrestled um, Gooney and he just felt impossible. Sort of yeah. thing, you know, at the time I wrestled him. He He's a Henzo black belt that a lot of people don't realise. <coughs> well, he is, but again, that's that was a bit of a, a sore point. He did all of his training, all of his belts with John up to oh. him. So John gave him his blue belt, his purple belt, his brown belt. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and then after that, he then went and trained over at Henzo's for a year. And um, John still had the expectation of giving his black belt, but then Henzo went and oh. gave it to him. Yeah, so and I, I mean, who, who's going to say to Henzo? No, exactly. Take that back on yeah, that. No, exactly. <coughs> I don't think there was a little bit of our shocks, sort of thing, you know. That's quite interesting, but they're, yeah. they're basically, uh, you know, a percentage of, of his ability is, is, is really coached from. Well, massive John, yeah. And not yeah. only that, he's he's interesting again talking about what we were saying before about concepts. He's the guy who, you know, I think um, John John tells a story of. Of him basically, because Gunny's that sort of Icelandic, straight face, mm-hmm. dry, you know. And he came up one day and as, a, as a young kid or whatever, he just said, you know, posture. If I have posture, by definition, the other guy does not have posture. And it was like, he gets it. You know, and literally he, he gets it. And then you see him in every single position when he's training and he's got yeah. posture. Yeah. And he's just 
balance, great posture, very hard to do anything with from there. Did that blow your brain when you then saw him go with Maya and you looked at Maya, like it was a close match, but Maya yeah, probably had the think, better of those two of those oh, scrambles. Well, he did. Uh, if, I think if you look at that match again, the first two minutes was really very close, back and forth. And what Maya normally does to, to other guys, I've been lucky enough, I got to wrestle Damian Maya as well over at the, the World's Camp at, uh, with, with Salah and Shanji in 2010. And so Damian Maya, again, he was just, mm. you know, like... like Rolling with a with a truck at that stage, um, but that that match, if you watch the first two minutes, is very back and forth. Maya does a couple of takedowns and Nilgaz and Guni, you know, sort of reverses and stays on top again. Yeah, Guni's yeah. balance was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, his balance is amazing, and then he makes one really crucial error when Maya's coming up on an underhook and he turns and basically posts on the ground, Pretty giving his back. No, but then he. Uh, he just sort of sits there and allows Maya to hit him in the head about five or six times mm-hmm. before he reacts. Uh, rather than sort of pulling guard and then starting again. And I think he just got hit hard five or All six right. times. You think he got rattled from something? I think he got rattled, okay. yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I've watched it a couple of times, yeah. but there's that point from there, they're going sort of shot for shot for shot, yep. and that's, that's MMA. You, know, you okay. can't get hit in the head. He gets hit in the head five yeah, or six sure. times, and he's... It he's changes your game. Totally. Yeah. Not the same, so... I mean, that old saying about, you know, punching hard body becomes a brown There's... <laughs> it's maybe not that cut and dry, but there's a lot of merit to massive, it. Massive I mean, element of truth. You and I both know yeah. we got some guys a blue belt, he beats our head in and then he's in mount. I mean, yeah, things yeah. are different, aren't they? It's a, it's a totally different game. Yeah. That's, I think that's it's the purest game as well, and that's why... Um, it's beautiful. Your yeah, ego yeah. can't get overinflated. It doesn't get, it doesn't get an option. No, that's it. Um, but I'm dragging you away from... So, so train with those guys, talk with them in 09. Yep. Oh, no, that was, that was 2015. Oh, came, right. came back and then contacted sort of uh, Matt and Travis over in the States and said, you know, I'd really like to you know, find how I can use your you know, business processes, if you like. And mm-hmm. they said, we'd like you to be SPG. So, mm-hmm. um, Did you approach them wanting to do no. that effectively as a franchise? You just like, give me some ideas on how I can do this. And they're like, well, how about... No, well, I approached it with the idea of, I know John explained sort of the behind the scenes processes that they have and mm-hmm. I approach them saying is it a way that I can access those behind the scenes processes uh-huh. and then in doing that you know, I think it was Travis yeah it was Travis basically said become one of us well you can either be an affiliate of John or you can be SPGs and I said well yeah. if I'm getting out of the opportunity I'll do that so yeah. that's what we've done we opened up we've been getting strong for I mean I've been looking at your class size it looks phenomenal it's, yeah yeah no it's great I mean, it's, it's so difficult it's so difficult there's, yeah. there's other places around because the other thing you're phenomenal. You're a great coach, great structure. It, like, if I lived in that area, I'd be training there. But people don't know that. People that look you up and Google just, I don't know, you're just another person. They, they don't know what's good and bad. And no. People will go and spend a couple of years at a bad gym because they just don't know. Yeah, that's tragic. There's, that, so that, it's, not, it's not a surefire way just because you're SBG that it's even going to... I just mentioned the, the World's Camp at the Havero Brothers in 2010 and that was, <coughs> that was when uh, they were in San Diego, so it was... Shanji and Salo, basically, you know, five, five, six-time world champion, each of them. Mm. Both of them coaching at this one gym, and they had 80 members. Jesus. And that's like San Diego is renowned yeah. now as like the mecca of everybody. <laughs> yeah. That was before before a whole influx of people. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you don't, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're probably gyms that are down the road that had better money. Better sales. Better yeah. sales. Everything yep. else. They give away a free uniform or something. Yeah, 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 all that sort of stuff. People yeah. have no idea when they have no idea. Mm-hmm. And again, you can't how, how do you that. circumvent that? If you could teach me that, <coughs> I don't care about any jiu-jitsu. If you could teach me that, I'd be happy. Well, that's that's the difficulty, and that's that's a different game. Mm. That's that's the thing. That's that's the business game, and yeah. I'm certainly no master of that. Mm. I'm still still learning as we go. Still doing our best to to mm. uh, find the best strategies to do things, but it's very difficult because you 
um, like you say, you get people in, you give them what you what mm-hmm. you think or what you know is 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 fantastic. It's yeah. what they what they need, but sometimes it's not necessarily what they want. And that's a similar thing I talk about the physio. So just before when I'm when I'm at work at the physio, you know. Um, What's the name of your physio? Put it in there. Art Sports Physiotherapy, okay. so yep. marketplace of Leica. Uh-huh. So at, at the physio, you'll get somebody come in and they'll have a particular condition, and then they'll and I'll know what the condition is, and I'll say, you know, this is what you need, and then they'll say, oh, my friend had, you know, yeah. acupuncture, had 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 ultrasound, you know, and there would have been a, you know, a, a while ago where I've said, oh no, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, it's not what you need, you need this, there's evidence for this, and there's mm-hmm. no evidence for that, and there's you know, and now I'm like, okay. Because you can't change somebody's mind in mm-hmm. a couple of minutes with that sort of stuff. And not only that, you essentially almost end up offending them. Yeah. And they yeah. resent it, which is really, really frustrating. But at some point, it comes down to human psychology rather than mm. what it is that you're actually... Doing. Yeah, and it's not you. That's the thing. You can't, yeah. you can't have that with everybody. You can't connect with everybody. You can't... Uh, yeah, you, you just can't be on the level with everybody. It's, 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 I like to think... Eventually, the cream will rise to the top. I like to think that. I think that is true. I think it's, over def- time. it's definitely true, but the cream has to be multi-flavored. It it's has to survive till it gets to the well, top. Well, there is that, and it's got to. You can't just be the best instructor. Yeah. You know, you can't just be that guy. It'll mm-hmm. only get so much word of mouth, mm. and you have to do all the other things. And that's that's running a business, and that's yeah. frustrating. It's difficult, really, but it yeah. just has to be done. Well, know? I think the other thing, and I, I talk a lot with my, with my students about this. If we could bottle that feeling somebody has after a couple of months where they feel like they're part of the team and they know everyone and they're comfortable and they've got a routine and they're fitter and stronger and they're sleeping better at night and they're, yeah. they're just generally happier. If you could bottle that and then just give them a sip of that on their first night, people yeah. people would be like, or you give them a sip of that via their Google search, people would be here on, on the, you know, every day. But it's it's not a measurable quantity. Like you can't just, and you can't even explain that to people. It's like, you're going to have to sort of have a certain leap of faith here that if you just... If you come along and you do the thing, that it'll make sense in the long run. And not only that, it's a difficult leap of faith as well, I think. it's You just look at the jiu-jitsu memes that everybody looks at and everyone yeah. goes, yeah, they all get it once you've been training for a long time. Like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. And you look, give it to somebody that has a trainer. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. a, like a foreign language type thing. Mm. But it's also, you look at the competition, you're looking at, you know, PTs and six-week program this and 12-week program that. People seem to, versus coming in and saying, well, this is going to take you... Two or three or four or five months to get mm. your head around, and it's going to be pretty. The reality is, it's a white belt. It's going to be pretty miserable for the first bit, you know. Mm. It's, so you've got to, you've got to try and uh, modify the training, make it as a, a, a comfortable as possible for as many people as possible. Yep. At the start, for them to be able to get through that initial stage, but yeah. It's, but uh, everyone wants. We're in a society now where. I want to go and buy the new lounge. I just get it on interest free. I'll get a credit card. I don't save for it. I just get it. But yeah. Everyone wants everything straight away. Yeah. It's very hard to say to someone, "Look, you're gonna to have to work hard for this. Yeah. You're gonna to have to, you know, finish work. You're gonna be a bit tired, but just trust me in the long run." But it's it's hard to get them to understand that. And and if people do. Once they do, they're like, "Oh, yeah. I can't believe I didn't do." Well, how many people have said to you, especially guys in their thirties or forties, and they go, "I wish I did this when I was twenty like, yeah, I hear that. I hear that all the time. Yeah. And it's the same thing, though. It's what we spoke about earlier. They just didn't... Yeah, they weren't, weren't ready. Well, they weren't ready for it. Yeah, people mm. have to be ready for it. Mm. And you get kids that come in, I'm going to be fly, going to be this, going to be that, and then they come and train, and they're like, holy crap, this is, this is hard. Mm. And then all of a sudden, they rather than sort of saying, okay, and having a pat on the shoulder and saying, you'll get there, you'll get there, you know, you just need to keep coming, be consistent, and they, you know, mm. go and find an easy alternative or, or something else to do that's not going to be quite so challenging. I think that's a big thing. You always see that, the meme again about... 
the number of people to get the black belt, whether it's like, I don't know, they used to say like one in a thousand people at start get the yeah. black belt, whether it's that, whether it's one in 500, whether it's one in a hundred, it doesn't matter. There's still a whole bunch of people that for whatever reason aren't going to make it and don't make it across the board. Mm. So you have to sort of sit there and say, look, at some point I still believe in what I'm doing, I still believe in how I'm coaching, I still think we're offering a quality quality product to people who come in here, it's just not going to be for everyone. Mm. And then focusing on the core and making yep. sure that core grows. If the core grows, then you know that becomes that mm-hmm. sort of unstoppable energy in the room. And, and yep. that, I think no, that, I truly believe that. Yeah, it filters off. Into but I mean, the, the litmus test shouldn't be, definitely the litmus test of jiu-jitsu should not be Am I going to get a black belt? Like that's actually the reason why a lot of people want to do it is because <laughs> yeah. it's not just it's not a foregone con- conclusion that you're going to get given this shiny black belt in in whatever a year, two years, three. Like the reality, as you said, the reality is most people can't stick with it long enough for whatever reason. And and the other thing is that a lot of people, just people, just humans in general, they have like a couple. of... I think Elvis told me this once. It was like a couple of years, and then they move to something else. It's like a couple. It's like a hobby type thing. Yeah. And anyone that goes past that. They tend to keep keep going. They're like this is something that's more of a lifestyle. And I mean, you're in, you're in an industry where you're solely built around fitness and, and personal you know well being. If people could just understand, we have to. And I've talked about this before on an earlier podcast. We have to be active. It's not a choice. It's not like there's plenty of people that think, oh, you choose to go to the gym. Well, you choose. There is no choice to be had there. You have to be active, or else yeah. you're going to get very un- unwell and you're not going to be happy. Yeah. But people don't always recognise that. And this is a fucking unbelievable outlet in doing that it's going to make so you happy ways. it's going to give you a friendship group it's yeah. going to make you yeah. apart from the fact that you're going to feel better that you can actually look after yourself or your yeah. family yeah. or just the confidence that comes with that yeah. totally if all those things could somehow be wrapped up in a pill and we can sell that I think we'll, we'll be we'll be, uh, we'll be millionaires we won't now I'd still teach even if we did manage to sell that pill just yeah it's, it's, it's it fascinates me I think it, it's the same exactly the same reason that you see Three and four hundred pound people out there that go the exact reverse and go in the opposite direction. It just the psychology and the way the way I think humans have evolved, and you know, there's so many so many distractions, so many easy options now. We've moved so far away from the physicality of life that we would have had two hundred years ago, and it's just I don't know. It's it's easy. I think I think at some point inside everybody still has that that uh, animal that mm. needs to get out, but. People just sort of let it go for so long, let it go to such a point that it's just, it's they're able to continue in that other myth, in that other sort of lifestyle, and they're able to continue that way until they get all the health problems and everything. And it's, you know, it's, but even the when you're saying they're able, the quality of what they're ably doing is still not the same as if they were. No, of course not. But they don't know that feeling of going home that. after training well and feeling yeah. good and no. and and. And being able to bowl of ice cream and not feeling like an arsehole because you actually did deserve, you earn it or whatever yeah, it might yeah, be. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's just those ticks of ticks of human psychology. I think. Mm. Maybe there's no easy way around that. It's just gonna. That's just always gonna be part of the part of the battle. I think it is. That's what I mean. It's really because fr- it's, it's frustrating. You know, you know mm. how good what you offer is, mm-hmm. and yet you sit there and some people just can't see it, can't get and it. And you know what? It's not you and I aren't pushing it. I know, I know I'm not, I know you're the same. The main thing is you're pushing something because you believe in it and you know they're going to feel better, not because you're going to make a dollar off that person. Mm. That's the nice byproduct of obviously having your own academy is the more people there is, the more money you make. But the, totally. but the main thing is you want to actually, you want people to feel like you do, feel happy and be fit and be strong. That's the that's like the main, it was, we wouldn't do it because if it was for the money, you and I wouldn't be here right now. No, absolutely. You'd still be doing physio, I'd be doing something else. Absolutely. I wouldn't be, 
I wouldn't be doing this. No, that's yeah. not. You definitely uh, aren't getting into it for that particular reason. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, let's let's switch it up a bit. I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about injuries. So yeah. I don't and I, I don't want to scare people. Like I feel like a lot of places won't even talk about injuries because it's like oh, that's gonna it's gonna come back to what we're doing. It's gonna scare people. Or don't, let's not mention you could get hurt. Now. You can get hurt walking across the street. If you don't train, you're gonna you're gonna probably you know get a heart attack. Whatever, let's, let's yeah. say you're gonna get unwell. I actually for, surprisingly find that we don't have that many injuries. Really, if you're in an academy where it's clean and safe yeah. and the training's been regulated, yeah. I mean, there's always gonna be a freak thing. Someone bends their finger back. Someone stubs their toe. Someone gets a kick in the head accident. Mm -hmm. But none of that. That's all super. Like there's nothing as far as big injuries. I mean, you go to any football field and watch under tens play, you're gonna yeah. see a lot more severe. And I'm not trying to talk down football, but like I think maybe people think it's a fighting arch. There's gonna, everyone's gonna be dead every night. There'd be no one left on the mat if people died as much as they think yeah. that you would. Yeah. But you know, there's things that either come up for whatever reason, the common injuries. What are some of the? Do you do you see common injuries and ways people get around them, or it's just, you know, there's there's knee injuries here and there over time, meniscus, ACL, MCL strains, things like that, sore shoulders, rib cartilage is one that comes up. I mean. Can you rib, talk to us about it? Yeah, rib cartilage is probably one of the more common ones. Yeah. And it's just six weeks, and it's just going to hurt for six weeks. Uh -huh. And people will want a miracle remedy and all that sort of stuff, and mm -hmm. just say, it's going to be six weeks. Oh, and pretty man. much almost to the day, it's six weeks to come back and they go, oh, it's gone. Good. And it's been painful with breathing and painful with coughing and painful with twisting for ages. Mm -hmm. You can put some tape on it to try and give it some relief. You can do a few other different things. People will want to take potions. and yeah. It's funny, like the, the pharmaceutical, nutraceutical industry, you know, the supplement industry, it's like we used to call them potions. We used mm. to call it snake oil. Sure. But now it's like people want to, you know, should I take this? It's like you can, but your body's going to heal it in a certain way. Regardless. Regardless. Mm -hmm. Even if it might make you heal one day earlier, two days, maybe it's still going to be six weeks there yeah. or thereabouts. Don't waste your money. Mm -hmm. You know. So obviously you can try and train around things. Um, some things are like rib cartilage is a classic one. It's really difficult to train around. Mm -hmm. You can drill, but as soon as you start to roll with any sort of sure. intensity, it's going to hurt. I think in terms of injuries, like you said, you get little little things, toes and fingers, obviously. Same sort of... Uh, same sort of instance of that, just people... I basically tell people to work around that. Like, the amount of times that I've busted my toes yeah. and fingers... Body tape, keep going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people... And if people haven't used their body physically before, yeah. when they do get a bump like that, it's it's a big yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. And and they think, oh, my, my, my toe's broken. It's probably not broken. It's probably just jammed in the mat or something yeah. against yeah. someone. It's just a bit jarred. Like, is that that's fine to train through things like that? Look, it is until it isn't. Yeah. Mean, you got to you got to assess each one individually. And if you say, look, it swells up really badly, it's yeah. really painful. Go to the, go get an X-ray. Yeah, sure. yeah. The X-ray comes back, or it's clear, and they're back training with a massive thing. Was probably dislocated, or they've done mm -hmm. something else. So you just got to yep. treat them all um, on their merits. But as a general rule, they're okay. Like mm -hmm. I said, knees and ankles. Um, the amount of times I've had somebody hurt their knee or ankle that the gym has been minuscule. Yeah, it really me too. has. Uh -huh. but, um, but the amount of times people have. Called up and said, I've hurt mm -hmm. my knee. Playing Oztag, playing touch footy, yep. playing soccer, playing futsal yep. is phenomenal. You know, and it's and I see that from a physio work as well. That they the standing twisting sort of injuries are uh, just not what we sort of get. The one thing I'd say is is we've sort of modified our takedown mm -hmm. game a I think little bit. Yeah, I think I can yeah, touch so, on these too. So because the, the few times we've had injuries is when guys have just been caught in the wrong position with their feet or whatever doing a takedown. So we try and. Uh, and just modify that and work uh, getting to certain positions yep. uh, repeatedly rather than finishing takedowns. Um, so, you know, getting to the entry, make sure you're securing that before actually doing it. Mm -hmm. And then working the actual 
uh, finish a little differently with less sort of energy. Can I extrapolate on that yeah, slide? Yeah, please. Danaher was good in his room. He was very particular about this. He actually said it a few times while I was there, and even with a room full of black belts, mm. he still mentioned it. Is it too hot for you? You're right. Mm. <laughs> um, That's right, mate. This is fixing my, my sickness. Is going to yeah, ben, uh, Benny's been crook for the last <coughs> month. We, we had a roll before, and I thought he died of emphysema, uh. so I was worried. Um, the the sauna's doing him the world of good, so uh, we got, it's not too hot in today. We, we're keeping it about it's 60 nice. degrees. Yeah, something nice. It's just a nice temp. Um, Danaher's thing, and I, I apply the same rule now. The amount of knee injuries you see, and normally it's from inexperienced wrestlers, and when re I just say wrestlers, I mean someone taking someone from a standing position. Yep. Somewhere like a side body lock, try to fall on the guy's leg, his ankle is outside his foot, his knee line, when all the weight gets dragged back over it, it puts all the pressure on the knee. It makes, yep. uh, it's hard, maybe if you guys are listening, you might have trouble understanding there, but basically they're, they're in a body lock position and they're bending them back over their knee and ankle. That's where you see some horror, and I find if you, if you train people to understand that, so now if we're doing any standing stuff, I say, guys, this see this position, you be very careful. You know, just jump on the guy's leg and hope for the best. If yeah. you're not sure, go all the way behind him and maybe trip him backwards or go back in front or bar, <coughs> or bar and go to something else. Yeah. That's a big one. With the kids and still with white belt adults as well, this is not Danaher's one, but this is the same sort of thing. Someone's turtled, put the hooks in, and then they pull them directly over their over their yes, ankles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially yeah. guys with poor flexibility in their ankles. Yeah, yeah. Straight away, both ankles either get hurt or yeah. they get sprained. Yeah. So I find if I teach them to take them to the side, that makes it no one ever pulls back over the ankles. Take them over to their side. Yeah. And then the other two are no jumping guard. I look at I treat jumping guard like it's the play, like mm -hmm. it's. Um, one of the guys I trained with in, in New York, phenomenal black belt, Henzo black belt. This guy's just a monster. Um, his name's Doug Polankovic. And Doug, I won't get a run to D. Doug's an awesome dude. Bronx, yeah, he has Bronx, yeah. right? So Doug owns Bronx. He has, he has Danaher up at teach at his gym every night. And the reason Danaher started teaching there was Doug got injured on the, in the room. Someone jumped to a, to a guard on him. Because you got everyone coming in from all over the world. Some Russian dude jumps, on his, jumps from the full position. Um, literally dislocated his knee, his like his femur and his and his tibia came out. Like, yeah, horrible. So you know he was out, and that's what led to Danaher teaching up in the Bronx. But um, jumping guard, like people people try to say heel hooks are dangerous. Yeah. Jumping guards heaps more dangerous. Yeah, it's yeah. all that body weight, and if their foot is outside their knee line and your weight comes down, there's nowhere for the pressure to go but on all those ligaments. That's it. I mean, you're you're more experienced than me, but yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, it's a horrible thing. And then the yeah. last thing is uh, no scissor takedowns. Yep. Scissors are the same thing where I end up putting all the foot in competition if they allow it. Yeah, hey, we both agree to the rules, we both know it's coming. Should be prepared for um, it. In the gym, if you're both high level guys and you make, like, let's say I'm going one of my purple belts and I'm, I'm going to focus on it, and I say, look, we're gonna, I'm going to work, but I'm never going to do it and uh, put the weight on him. Maybe I'm going to post more on my weight and scissor more as opposed to jumping to it. Yeah, yeah. If you adhere to those, I find there's very rarely knee injuries. There yeah. really is. I yeah. mean, the, and the, you're, the, you're probably again t talking here before. You probably got one of the one of the most leg lock heavy gyms in the city, yeah, which is yeah. great. I know, but if you've got that culture from the start and you've got a good technical understanding of different positions, mm -hmm. um, then there's you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't be getting uh, yeah, avoiding those things. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's no. There's no. Reason. So cartilage. I find cartilage a lot of the time is is beginners. And it's normally they're stuck under like a side control. They do a crazy bridge. Their their upper body can't move. Their lower body does move, and it just pulls apart the cartilage and the ribs. Is that basically how you, you see yeah. it happening most of the time? A loaded twisting. Yes. Twisting. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So. So like, is the moral of the story there? If you've got a guy who is 120 kilos on his top of you, you're an 80 kilo white belly. Just maybe 
completely spazzing out and rotating is, is going to put so much torque on you, you need to think about another option? Like, what's how do we train people out of that? Yeah, well, again, technique, making sure, like, you and, and are you are you bridging effectively? Are you doing it in the correct position, or are you just spazzing out because you're spazzing out? Mm. You know, and, and, you know, you can never, you can never injury-proof everybody in the room, but it's no. going to come down to how well they pay attention to the, the technical aspects of positions that you show them, and hopefully... You know, if they're paying attention, they're doing things correctly, and it's hard when you're giving up 40 kilos on top of you. You want sure. to get that pressure off. Yeah. But there's always the option as well there of tapping. Tap and mm-hmm. live, live to survive another day. Yeah. I, I listened to a, a nice yeah. podcast um, uh, with Matt Thornton the other day on uh, it's on the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, and he was talking about you know that seeing guys with their hands all taped up. You know, Don't get me started on that. But that, but, but all wrapped up here, it's all that all that says is that you're you relying on your grips. Well, you, you you didn't let the grip go quick enough. You know, that's the whole point. If you're the, the, the good grip is the grip that you let go off quickly because you're ready to go to the next one. Mm-hmm. If your grip is uh, is being compromised or someone's looking to break it, then the grip has essentially failed. You should be on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're sitting there doggedly holding onto something, there's no difference doing that than there is from spazzing out basically underneath side control. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a sign of somewhere in your past you weren't technically proficient enough to stop that from happening yeah and that's again with respect there's plenty of people that are super technical and again yeah. you break grips in judo and all that sort of stuff so that happens but, but the, the 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 finger tapping <coughs> like i'm i'm basically i'm basically against it i mean i'm not a as most people know i'm not a i'm not a straight out gi player so even if i'm playing in the gi i'm not going to be hooking spider grips and fighting them till till my fingers fall off i'm just not going to do that mm. But uh, some guys do, and I think they legitimately need those finger tape just to even keep themselves together or to get a grip. But yep, yep. I have to wonder, like, so it's like performance enhancing. Yeah, is that? But is that? What's that doing to your fingers over time? I mean, I, I find it's like punching a makiwara board. I don't know. You know, yeah. the old karate guys yeah, smacking yeah. the board, smacking yeah. their hands in a grain, and they're still doing it in schools now. It's like you do realise that those guys when they were doing it were dead at thirty, mm. and they had messed yeah, they, up their hands. Exactly, they were dead. They were like yep. warriors. They did it for fighting or whatever and then they died yeah so they weren't living to be a 67 year old person who really could use their hands yeah I mean you see people uh, kicking like hard steel poles to try and make the, I mean come on like yeah. I think the general the general, <laughs> your general Thai guy has got hard shins from a mixture of sparring and pad work mainly they do a lot yeah. of pad work that hard, like hitting a particularly hard object that, that's not going to bend the tibia is going to be probably weaker than a hard pole I mean how many well, that's it. You'll keep, keep, you'll keep breaking poles until the pole breaks you. Yeah. I'm sure we see plenty of... I mean, I saw a video the other day about a guy hitting a street sign and breaking it. Yeah. That's fine. Show me the one where he kicks something a yeah, bit hard right. and he's, yeah. he does an innocent saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they're scary. Those tib, those tib fractures are, are, are scary, I suppose, for most, most people that do training, but it's a little bit of a more unlikely thing. But I, I, ne- I try to coach guys away from throwing particularly hard inside kicks in the opposite stance just due to the fact that there's a lot of distance to be travelled mm-hmm. as opposed to if we're both same lead leg let's say we're both same left forward yeah, yeah, yeah. I hit the inside of your thigh it's a fairly quick little either you switch or even you just lift the leg and hit the hit the inner thigh when we're standing southpaw against an orthodox and you sling a hard shot in there that rotation of his tibia inwards provides a pretty hard hard barrier for you to kick against that's it he's got more time to do it so what's your what's your ideas on that do you train you guys around that or you just let them sling them hard if they want Look, I mean because guys in, in shim guards can get, get away confidence with when they shouldn't in a fight yeah that's a good call I mean that, that's an idea as well I think when MMA first started a lot of guys were, were throwing far more 
uh, leg kicks, far more leg kick dominant than they are now. A lot of people will kick to the body and the head more. It's almost like a third. You'll see that calf kick almost coming into vogue. Yeah, something we're working, yeah. Which is really good. American top team have mastered it. Yeah, it's an evolution of the sport and it's just, you know, taking Mm -hmm. things to the next level, which is great. I think uh, it's like anything, you, yeah, whether, whether it's that throwing that rear leg or whether it's throwing a right cross, you know, from like, the same thing, you know, it's got further distance to travel than a jab. So mm. physically, you know, it should take, it should be easy to block. But if you fake and, you know, fake and set everything up before it gets there and your time is correct and your footwork is correct and your distance management is correct, you know, it's still a viable technique. Mm. I don't think there's, I don't think we have had any issues with that. And again, in terms of like, Outlawing that, we had one of our guys actually. Uh, I just thought of not outlaw, but um, try to steer them away from it if they're heavy on it. But, yeah, no, that's a good call. I think just the, I would steer them away from it just in terms of the variety aspect. Sure. You know, kick them once in the leg, and the next time when they're expecting to kick them mm. to the body or the head, mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's. I think that uh, I saw one of Danaher's videos on that dilemma idea. You know, you got to. Yes. And that, that's that's that's. All types of fighting. You know, fighting is yep. physics, and fighting is information processing. And if I can jumble your brain by giving you more pieces of information mm-hmm. before I give you the piece of information that I really want to get through, mm-hmm. then I'm more likely to be able to make it work. And it's the same in stand-up as it is on the ground. It's the it's the yep. same in MMA that the concepts cross I totally 100% agree with that. Yeah. I wonder why a good jiu-jitsu practitioner who, who generally is probably a good thinker, a good problem solver, good at doing all those things we just talked about, I wonder why they never quite take the striking how you get a guy come in and in two years' time you make him into a good striker. He's just moving, he flows. Yeah. You get a guy who's done jiu-jitsu for 15 years and you're trying to teach him striking and there's a bit of awkwardness. Is it is it they've got these postures that are built into jiu-jitsu that are hard to change because they're very different in striking. What do you, I wonder what that is. Like, Do you ever think about that? I don't know. I think there's... I think there's still plenty of, I think it comes down to coaching, I think it comes down to, there's still plenty of good jiu-jitsu guys that have ended up with with decent stand-up, I mean for MMA anyway, you got, I don't know, TJ, TJ's the guy that used to be a wrestler and Yeah, wrestlers fighter. seem to come to it easier than jiu-jitsu players, <coughs> something about jiu-jitsu that's... To call Vadum, I think has got nice stand-up for a big guy. Yeah, I think he's probably um, the exception. Dos Anjos, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I... I feel like they're exceptions, but not yeah. to like they're exceptions. You look at most of the jiu-jitsu players. Yeah. Doesn't sort of translate. Some, as well. There's a certain stiffness to it, and there's a certain. I think this probably. I think the reverse probably happens as well as that. Most of the strikers that come in and learn the jiu-jitsu game are probably yeah. in the jiu-jitsu setting would be seriously sure. found out. Yes. But in the MMA setting, where they can mm-hmm. uh, still punch and strike and yeah. get back to their feet, they may look better. Athleticism definitely definitely has a big yeah a big uh, playing there. aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, still on that sort of um, injury tra- injury train, we talked about the rib cartilage. Is there any things that should be straight away, like the difference between go home and ice it, or next day you need to go see the physio? Like, is there certain like common things that you say, or is more about how you're feeling with with each individual injury? Look, if you feel a pop, if mm. you feel a pop or a crack, if you feel a crack, a crack. They call it a crack because it's a cracked bone. It's more likely to be a bone if it's a pop. It's most likely to be a tendon or a ligament. Okay, right, a ligament. so pop will crack, right? So if something pops, if something pops and you hear it or you feel it pop, mm-hmm. something is, 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 it's like a grade three tear of something. It's going to depend on what it is and where it is and how important it is to your stability or to your mobility. But generally speaking, you'll, you'll hear or feel something straight away. There'll be, uh, generally speaking, there'll be an intense pain straight away. With ligament damage? With ligament or bone. Okay. Yeah, bone's a classic one. Because generally people do a bone and... 
they almost get overwhelmed. Yes. You get that real feeling yeah. of sickness. And everyone sort of knows and they've cracked uh-huh. the bones. Yeah, I've so done that. Very, yeah. very different sort of... We had a guy do the Weber A the other night. Um, <coughs> yeah. Down the bottom of his ankle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, he was one of our guys who's an MMA guy. So, like, scrambly, tries to fight at positions that maybe he should have just gone to a better position. Yeah. Going against another young, strong guy. Rolls him over his ankle. Big crack. We just sounded like a whip crack in the room. We all, like, spun our heads around. And, um, yeah, he's six weeks in the boot. Yeah. Um, but surprisingly, six weeks in a boot, and then it's like sort of back to. That's it. Often that, that's good, the right? misconception. That's really frustrating. People go to emergency, they get an X-ray, they hobble back in their X-ray. Oh, I'm fine, you know. And it's like no. Sometimes syndesmosis injuries, like an ACL, other other different things, a dislocated shoulder. These things are, are worse than a fracture, if you like, yeah. in terms of the recovery. Yeah. So soft people are, have a misconception about bone. They see a skeleton. They think it's this white chalky substance. When you Go in and see surgery, you see a bone cut up, they're very dense, they're full of blood, they're yep. incredibly vascular. Mm-hmm. And so they heal very quickly. So they are quite vascular. Incredibly vascular. Right. Yeah, the they're vascular just... like we think of veins in the arms, or are they different, like through that honeycomb? No, vascular through the honeycomb, right. full of blood. If you oh. see a femur, I mean a femur is particularly vascular, but yeah. if you see a bone cut, it's like oh, blood. Blood. Really? Yeah, like like rich, filled with blood. Wow, I didn't know that. So they're incredibly metabolically active and they're okay. incredibly attuned to healing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas connective tissue is is not so uh, you look at and i always say when people come into the clinic you know you look at the look at the muscle chart and you see the the deep red muscle and then you see the white tendon and ligament on there it's white for a reason there's very little Poor blood, blood there. flow yep. there shouldn't be blood flow there it's not the way they uh they work okay so and, and yeah, a nice podcast was a coach sumner podcast with tim ferris many years ago uh, probably a year ago he's an american uh gymnastics coach what's he's his name coach coach sumner Sumner. He was an American, uh, yeah, gymnastics, Olympic gymnastics coach. Right. So fantastic, just one of those guys, you know. He'd say, go to places, and people say, oh, the research says this, and he's like, yeah, you're doing it in a lab on a dead bit of tissue. Trust me, the, the alive tissue responds and reacts differently. Mm-hmm. And he made a great call for, you know, the reduced metabolic activity of, um, of connective tissue, so the white tissue, if you like, the capsule, the ligament, the, the tendon the meniscus, the cartilage, you know, it's got, it takes 200 days for that to, to wow. undergo change. So it takes a long time. He's talking that in terms of a training uh, effect. Mm. And, and it's very similar for, for recovery, you know. Sometimes meniscus will take, you know, let's say four to six, four to eight weeks or whatever in a, in a, uh, in a textbook, and it might take four months. You know, mm. It's really hard to say. Meniscus seems to bother people. It's like that's, <coughs> that's the one that just is like a gradual, gradual over time. And it... Well, it's the one that people go back too early to and they re-injure because they go back too early. They feel I'm all right. Well, they feel they're all right, and that's, that's you know, in terms of you know, that and dislocated or subluxed shoulders. Uh-huh. Once you sublux your shoulder or dislocate your shoulder, your likelihood of re-dislocating is above 90%. Right. If you re-dislocate more than twice, then you basically... It's always going to come out. It's always going to come out and you need surgery really, uh, for it to be... So started. what, they're just like a lasso but they just get pulled and they just stay at it full and they just don't go back. Now then. what happens when you dislocate a shoulder? It basically tears the labrum which is a rim of cartilage that circles... The, On the head of the ball? No, that well, circles, the, inside. circles the, the socket. Okay, yeah. Okay, and, that, and it's called a, a bankart lesion. The front part of that gets torn. And when that gets torn, they give the analogy of like a golf tee, you know, with the golf ball sitting on mm-hmm. top. If you chip the edge of the uh, golf yeah, tee, it just falls off. the yep. ball falls off. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing, you've essentially got an unstable yeah. tee. And so people come in and see me, again, everyone's, everyone's their own expert now because of Google and yep. they see people, you know, I saw this training, sure. this training video, yeah. it's like they're bringing their MRI and they've got a glenoid uh, bank card lesion. And I go, okay, you're, you're, you're probably going to dislocate again, you're probably going to need surgery, but we'll rehabilitate it and see if you're one of the 10% that, that, that gets lucky. 
But that's that's the statistics, so that's the reality of it. Yep. And so for something like this, when you get in there and you're posting on the arm and someone puts pressure and, you know, or someone starts to attack with an Amerikan or whatever, mm-hmm. the likelihood of that re-dislocating is incredibly high. Do you find that shoulder... <coughs> see, I've found whenever I've had sore shoulders, because I'm trained so much at the level I'm at to keep my, never leave my arms in bad spots. I find I could maybe even work around something that, but you get a beginner who's like, yeah, his yeah. whole game is yeah, his, yeah. his elbows off That's his right. ribs. Yeah. They're, they're never going to be able to make that work right. You can always train around things, but if you come back and you train too early, I say to people, if you go and see the doctor and you've fractured your tibia, mm-hmm. and they say it's going to take six weeks for that to heal, you're going to have to be in a boot for six weeks. You don't, after three weeks, go, I might just take the boot off and go for a walk and see how I go. Mm. I reckon I can try running on the spot. You do that, you'll snap your yeah. leg again. Your anatomy is your anatomy. It's your not your anatomy is your anatomy, and yeah. your recovery is your recovery. Okay. Your body has to heal. So what about when people think they go, "Oh, Conor McGregor was back in six months. Why can't I just do that?" Is that because he's doing some type of extra, uh, like, is he doing some crazy stuff to get back quicker? You know that you hear this. I think he's he's mentally ridiculous yeah. in terms of his drive. Yeah. So that's very important. But even even him, he would have passed. That's the him. exception. <coughs> Excuse me. That is the exception. Yeah. People can get back at six months, but again, the stats show that if you wait to twelve months, every extra month you wait to get back. I've got one of your young guys yes. at the moment. I've been talking to him. Yeah. Every extra month you wait, your likelihood of re-injury dramatically reduces. Okay. So if you wait seven months, your yeah. likelihood of injury is sixty mm-hmm. percent. Yep. If you wait to eight, if you wait to nine months, it's thirty percent. If you wait to twelve months, your likelihood of re-injury, and we talk about like a ten-year likelihood of re-injury, is ten percent on yeah. either leg. Right. So that it's just that risk reward thing. Of course, people are desperate. They want to come yeah. back and train. No matter what it is, you want to be a runner. You want to be this, and, and it's a constant battle of, of uh, being a physio, basically saying, "I know yeah, you want to get up, back." The whole the whole idea of you being here is to get you back. Mm. I'm trying to hold you back just long enough to give your body the chance to bulletproof you before mm. you go back. But yeah. is that the smaller percentage? Most people are looking for that excuse. Oh, I can have some more time off. Or no, you, no, you no, experience the Vast majority. They want to get going again. And again, I think that comes back to what we're saying about people at the start. You know, why do not many people, or why do, why is there such a drop off with people when they start? Why doesn't everyone get to play? And again, when Matt was out, he made a great point about this. What's the most important thing to get through that? Well, we have to love it. Mm. You have to love it. You have to still, after six months, go, oh, I love this. I can't wait to get back. Mm. 12, 12 months, two years, five years. Oh, man, I love this. Mm. And I say to the new guys when they come in, I say, every single time I wrestle, and it's without a word of a lie, every single role I have, I will see something new that I've never done before in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm attacking or I'm defending or whatever, yep. it's every single time. Yep. And that, to me, after 20-plus years, is just phenomenal. Yeah. It's like... It's beautiful. Beautiful you know, is the word for it. It's beautiful. Yeah. How, can you do that riding a bike? Can you do that passing a ball? Yeah. Can, you, you can't. You know, so that for me, it's gone way past the physical. Yeah. It really is just in that mental sort of mm-hmm. um, satisfaction now. But it, it is, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And you, mm. you're saying in terms of trying to bowl it, I try and convey that to, yeah. to, my, to my new guys and say, you know, and even showing them something as simple. You know, this is good posture, this is bad posture. And they go, oh, wow. You know, mm. I feel like I'm 10 times stronger. Yeah, you are, because you have good posture. That's mm. the whole point. Mm. You know, but it's not, not everyone will fall in love with it, no matter how much. Yeah, that's just you know, it's, it's like your like your uh, like your reality dating shows. One person loves the other, and it doesn't matter how much how much attention they want to give them, and how much they shower them with gifts, and how much they. Not that you watch up. these shows, is that right? I, yeah. I actually, I, I don't get to watch any TV now. Yeah. So the only TV I get to watch is, is Sunday night with uh, with my wife. It's like that's the so ritual. That, that that was the ritual. So when the uh, what was it called? Married at first sight was night, right? No, you play it down like you don't know. I put my hand, I put yeah. my hand up. I watched that. Yeah, I watched that from go to away. 
It's you know what it is. It brought, it's it like junk food. Time. Once you have it, you can't help yourself. <coughs> that sort of shit it. is like junk food if you're mine. That's it's it. like crack. It's not. That's it. See, uh, you're in the same position I am, and this is something. This is why uh, you get a young guy in here who says, "Oh, I haven't got time to train." And I say, "Man, like, there's time to train. Like, you and I have got a full family yeah. of a bunch of kids, each wife. You've got two businesses. I've got one. Yeah. If if we can make the time to suit it, I feel like some of these guys need to learn nearly to prioritize it. What is actually is your Friday night out, Saturday night, Sunday out, and then you're ruined Monday, and then those couple of days in between you've got available, they've got to start to weigh up, is that worth what they're doing, you know? But again, no amount of, no amount of telling that. You, you can that. educate that to a 20-year-old, yeah. and their mates call them up on a Friday night, and they're about to yeah. train, come on, let's go get on the gas, let's go yeah, chase yeah. girls. Yeah. Evolution says, let's yeah. go chase girls. Yeah, sure. It's just the reality, but I think yeah. all you can do is your best if you... If you Manage to turn a couple of extra ones in your mm. favour, then, mm. then good for you. But don't. I, I, I was feeling bad, but you can't feel bad about a young kid being a young kid going yeah, out having fun. That's true. But the time poor stuff is funny. Like people say, like, you know, how was your weekend? I'm like, yeah, it was good. You know, yeah. I had like the you know, trained on the Saturday and came in on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Sunday with my kids, and then Monday, Monday it's up at six mm. after probably not sleeping the night before because one of the three kids is up. Yeah. And then it's like school drop off, whatever, get to the gym, go to the gym, do my admin at the gym, go to the physio, come back, run the kids, run the classes, get home at 9.30, get to bed, get back up the next day, go to the physio, do a full day at the physio, then go to the gym, get off the next day, the next day is a day off and I've got like two kids to look after. Yep. I'm, and, and it's basically, you know, taking the little kickers here, going to swimming there. Mm-hmm. I get two hours of the day when they're asleep to try and do something and it's generally And you want to sleep at that time too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And but here's the question then. You wouldn't swap it in a heartbeat for anything, would you? No. Because no, I wouldn't. No. I because, wouldn't. and again, for me, I, I, I'm still with the goal of uh, continuing to build the business to the point that I can pull back even further on, on my, uh, my physio or sell the physio mm-hmm. business because I've been doing that for a long time. Having sure. said that, it's going great at the yeah. moment and it's working. So mm. I, I don't, and, and the beauty of it as well, I know you, with your work previously as well, you know, you. Sometimes you've got to subsidise the, the other you one. You do. But also doing less of it, I'm actually enjoying it more, mm. which is a lovely thing because. Yep. Um, that's been an added benefit. You ask more of yourself when you can give more. Like so, so for instance, I had no spare time when I was doing two jobs, yeah. working full time and doing this full time in the kids. Yeah. Once I quit full time and worked here full time, yeah. I nearly have less time because I expect more of myself. That's it. I spend a few hours each day studying. I spend time doing projects. <coughs> I spend like uh, you ask more of yourself. Yes. And I think. Um, and that's a good thing because it, it, it builds you into a better person. Yeah. You're more productive. You're yeah. more. Yeah, you're, you're more demanding on yourself. I think as long as we get enough sleep. Did you listen to Rogan's podcast? Yeah, it's okay. fascinating. Tell me that's not like, like, yeah. I've got the book as well. Yeah. I'm listening to his book. And I think anyone that's listening here that hasn't listened to it, his name is... Matt Hunter? Matt, oh, Matt Mark, Walker? Matt Matthew Walker? Walker? Yes, that's it. His book is Why Do We Sleep? The podcast is a most... It's about 10 podcasts ago for Rogan. You've got to listen to it. I mean, it is phenomenal. It makes you go, wait a sec, I need to make sure I prioritise this. Rather than, for me... I could sit at home at 11.30 night and start another, study another hour of technique for tomorrow yeah. or get some sleep and then hopefully tomorrow will be better and I can do that in half an hour or something. It makes you... Yeah. I, I was blown away by that. Yeah. I really was. And it made me look back on the last six years, you know, and think far out. You know, just the sleepless nights. Mm. We're not... Kids do it too. Kids, yeah, exactly. Not, People would never have kids if you talk to them, <laughs> but the, the payoff is... Thankfully, the evolutionary Man. drive to have kids is stronger than the realisation... To not strangle them in, yeah. ...that you won't sleep yeah. for the next... Five years if you had more than one. But you know, here's the thing without going down this rabbit warren, rabbit warren, before I had them, and you would have been the same, 
you can't you can't comprehend that. Kids are slightly annoying to you. Other people's kids are really annoying. Yeah. You're like I just I don't get it. Well, what are you doing? You can't go out. You can't do anything. What? You're not sleeping. Then you have them, and you're like, oh, oh shit. I I would. I would uh, jump off a cliff head first on a bunch of rocks if it was going to be necessary for them to keep going. Like totally. you don't even, it's not even a, a thought process, right? And it comes back to that same thing we've been talking about since day one. You can't explain to somebody who doesn't mm. have kids, this is what it's like to have kids. They don't have the wisdom of living through it. Yep. They really don't. It doesn't matter what you could say. No one will take on board the reality of what it is that you experience once you're there. And that's that same thing. Trying to bottle jujitsu, mm. you can't. They've got to get in, you've got to get them through that first month, that second month, that third month to then say, do you get it now? And then they'll go, yeah, I get it. Mm. Well, they won't. They'll have to love it first, but hopefully they'll get it if you can usher them through that early stage. If we could apply that analogy, but every accidental teenage pregnancy, that means we should get a lot more accidental jiu-jitsu players, but it's not quite as appealing as... Uh what leads to pregnancy, right? This is true. <laughs> Evolution. All right, I think I'd have to kid it there. You've got to go. You've got to, you're teaching tonight? I am. Yes, what class are you on tonight? Oh, we've got two and a half hours of jiu-jitsu tonight and oh, MMA, an hour of MMA. Nice. Sparring yeah, or? Yeah, MMA. Yeah. So, again, we're, we've been focusing on, I've sort of set some parameters for the guys that have joined who want to do MMA. One of them was I had to be a blue belt. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't want somebody going in realising they've got a crap ground game in an MMA fight mm-hmm. getting punched in the head. Yep. Doesn't guarantee they won't get punched in the head with a blue belt, but it just gives them a little bit sure. more insurance policy. Um, and it makes like, them earn it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that's that other thing. Even uh, it's that it makes them earn it, but it's also show me you're you're committed enough to get to this before I'm going to commit everything I've got to you. Mm-hmm. And, and you make that that sort of uh, which which sounds sort of greedy, but once you've done it a hundred times and you've had. X number of people leave and you think, oh God, here I go again. I don't know if the next person that comes in is going to stay or go. Mm. So you've got to give them, you've got to give them the love when they first come in and make sure they're okay. But at some point, you've got to survive by yourself. And once you get to a certain level, then expect me to step back up and really commit to you. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be on your own a little bit because yeah. I can't be a babysitter for everybody. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, and that's that's the frustrating thing, I guess, with admin as well. You know, people wanting oh, this, yeah. wanting that, wanting the other. Yeah. And I need to freeze next week and up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I've got to get to this. I've just gotten to the point where I'm particularly, not blunt, but just yeah. brutally honest. But you know, no, when you mm-hmm. go downstairs and you convince my landlord that I can have a week off paying yeah. rent, I'll adhere to this. Mm-hmm. Please let me know when you do it. Well, you know, yeah. Something like that. People have, yeah. have no idea because they, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. Same thing, stupid. Mm-hmm. Not stupid. Inexperienced, yeah. unwise young kids that don't yeah. know any better. Yeah. Um, well, they're used to their app on their phone. I don't want to see anymore. I just stop paying it. I just, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that. We're, the thing that people don't realise, we're here every day, rain or, rain or shine, mm. cold or hot, we're here for you. Even if we're tired and our kids are bit, we're going to be there to give you the best lesson we can. That's it. So you are committed to them. We're committed to you. We're committed to you. We're going to be here. That timetable says that. <coughs> if you're at a gym where they're not doing what their timetable says, you yes. need to find somewhere else. Exactly. Um, we can put, we sorry, can sorry, just with that MMA, same thing about a bunch of guys kickboxing and now we've got a bunch of guys who've had a number of kickboxing fights, have got their blue belts and we're really focusing to, to sort of get into the MMA senior mm-hmm. of the year and, and start building from there. So. Beautiful. Well, we see we've, uh, we're both maybe smaller academies as far as that's concerned. So mm-hmm. if you ever want to exchange like spar- sparring, I find we don't have, you don't necessarily have to exchange for like technique, but even just like the night when people are going to go live with each other, I, I, I sometimes send my guys over to Elvis's when they're sparring, yeah. just because just more bodies and different bodies. Different bodies, you different get, games. You've got five guys always sparring, get used to each other. Yeah. And just true. remind I still think you could have been one of Australia's best welterweights. Ben probably never tells anyone. He had one fight. I was there that <laughs> night, and you picked. You went. You were zero and zero. You went against probably the best guy in Australia. I felt at that time, Jamie Ballard. 
No, Justin, Justin, Justin Murray. Murray. Justin Murray still to this day is a fucking monster, and you guys had a close. I mean, he put a horrible combo on you at the beginning of the fight, and then you sort of like survived and put like survived and then started to turn it around. I thought come come later in the fight, but I mean that's a hard fight had have to feel first one. I still think you could have been really really good. Yeah, and again, I think that's that's another. That's a whole other podcast, man. That, that's mm. the mentality and the psychology of fighting. Yeah. And that's probably... Uh, we can say that for another day. Exactly. Like, belief in yourself. Not yeah. having enough belief to think that you I can be as good. It. it was also the times. It was before the UFC sort of took off. And I think I've learned, uh, I've learned from that experience as well as a coach. You know, what you say, how you say it, when you say it is a massive, mm-hmm. massive thing for somebody with that as well. But yeah, Justin was... XFC yeah. champ before my oh. fight and Warriors were on champ after and yeah he clipped me in the first 10 seconds yeah. I remember blacking out a shot that put, should have put out a horse and you, you fought, kept fighting so. yeah he got through it and then second round yeah. took him down and dominated yeah. and uh, you know, commodity him or something happened there Americana yeah yeah, yeah. locked up one technical aspect See? of it and didn't when was finish. that what year was that that was 07 2007 yeah. yeah old days um, thank you so much for coming out today Pleasure so real friend. quick when we finish up um Go down and see Ben at SBG Australia on Parramatta Road in Leichhardt. In Leichhardt. Yeah. Um, if you're coming from from Sydney, if you're coming from Sydney, it'll be on your right. If you're coming from Penrith, it'll be on your left. You sort of uh, it's a big building above a car yard, big That's glass right, frontage with a huge big sign. Um, I've been out there. The facilities are awesome. Everything you need. Obviously, the you know top top notch coaching. I wouldn't. I don't recommend anyone to go anywhere other than, than you <coughs> living remotely in that area. Thank you, sir. Um, Sydney West Martial Arts, you guys hopefully know where we're from, out here in Penrith. Um, I, I like to think the number one submission grappling academy around, and we're going to continue to do that and show why in a, in a few more years on the big stage. And um, remember our sponsor, Endless Combat. If you jump on their website and you use the promo code HEATLOCKER10, you get a 10% discount. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Thank sir. You. Adios.